My name is Dario Hasenstab. I have two degrees in international affairs, and I'm here with Balder Hagritz, a former university professor of mine, as well as an IR consultant. And together, we're bursting the Western bubble. Today is the first of uh, our interviews that we announced in our trailer for the season, with the aim to have a greater diversity of perspectives, as well as insights into areas where we are not experts within the Western bubble. Our guest today is our editor Usama, with whom uh, we will analyze the Western bubble. He has been with us from day one and by default had to listen to all of our episodes. His amazing editing work and the fact that he listens to every episode three times makes him the best possible guest to interview first. Um, hello Usama, welcome, uh, welcome to kind of the front end uh, of the podcast. Uh, it's very great to have you with us. Hello, Dario. Hello, Boulder. Uh, very good to be here. Uh, very good to just like uh, notice and hear firsthand from you uh, this amazing episode. It's very happy to be here. Well, and for the first time, we have a live fact sheet uh, to our regular audience. You know that usually I just read something out about an organization or what something that happened. Uh, but today uh, you are the fact sheet, so you can talk to us. Um, so tell us a bit about yourselves, uh, where you grew up, uh, where you're from, kind of what schools you visited. Yeah. Um, so firstly, uh, my name is Osama, obviously. Uh, I'm from Egypt, uh, but for I was born in Saudi Arabia. Um, and then for the next seven years, uh, I spent it, eight years, I spent it in Egypt. And then we moved back to Saudi Arabia for six years. Um, then I got back to Egypt, then went to Turkey for my high school, um, where I studied in the American School of Istanbul. And uh, then graduated, uh, joined IE for a year, um, and then uh, transferred to King's College London, where I'm currently studying the second year of international relations. Um, I've grew up in uh, Egypt and Saudi, as I, as I previously said. And uh, yeah, this is basically my background, sort of. Perfect. Very nice. So you are very much, you know, a product of, I would say, your own society. So Egypt and Saudi Arabia. And then you moved to IE University in Madrid, Spain, um, which was kind of your first time living in the West West. I mean, Turkey is a bit of a hybrid. And uh, now for two years, you've been uh, in London. So kind of three years of, you know, just someone thrown into uh, into the Western bubble. What is the bubble? Um, so let's talk about uh, your bubble experience uh, to the extent, or if there is any Western bubble experience. So do you feel that there is a bubble, a Western bubble that you have experienced in the last three years, or maybe even before you came to, to Europe? Yeah. So I, I think there is, of course, a Western bubble. And it's very interesting that uh, I've noticed this Western bubble way before I've ever came into Europe or, or the West in general. Uh, it was very much uh, highlighted from my upbringing uh, the the intensity of the Western bubble highlighted in both of the the, the countries that I've grown in, uh, Egypt and Saudi Arabia. And of course, that has been very much amplified when I moved into Spain and then when I moved into England uh, with, with more uh, maybe face-to-face, -face, with more intensified uh, experiences about the Western bubble. Um, but I think the, the Western bubble, of course, it's also, I, I was born in 2003, uh, which very much the like one of the generations that had uh, the upbringing of of creating the Western bubble and the Western bubble being created in the lifetime. Um, so yeah, I, of course, I think uh, and I believe there is a Western bubble. Well, I, uh, let me jump in here. Uh, first of all, wonderful to have you, Sam. Thank you so much. Um, well, how, 
what do you mean by that? Uh, the you saw the creation of the Western bubble. What did it look like to you? Yeah. So I, I think, um, in my opinion, in the early two thousands, uh, with the all of the first of all military interventions that the U.S. and the West had in a lot of Middle Eastern countries, and how big effect that had on the sort of maybe not the creation, essentially, but the amplification of the Western bubble. I believe that um, at the ending of the Cold War, the Western bubble has be- begun to be created and begin to be very much uh, highlighted in the Western societies. But it hasn't been amplified and sort of uh, exported into the world until the early 2000s. And um, of course, I remember being growing up to a lot of information and a lot of opinions about uh, the Western intervention in Iraq um, and how much of a, of, of a negative bubble and an impact that has exported to the Middle East. I remember growing up and hearing a lot about um, the unlawful uh, uh, nature of, of, of that uh, intervention. And from here, I think that very much amplified what is the Western bubble uh, for me and has amplified to the public that yes, the West are very much in, in a lot of instances, they're very much convinced with their own ideologies. That is very much not only ideologies, but ideologies and facts, if you can say. And that's very much highlighted into their own bubble that not only the world doesn't agree with it, but maybe the world doesn't know about it. Um, and and as I said, this this is was very obvious and very highlighted in in the Iraq uh, example. See, I'm I'm glad that you're that you're using the word ideology here, um, because that's a word that Balder and I don't use a lot ourselves for the Western bubble. Because for us, I mean, it's it's a deeper rooted approach that we take with you know kind of convincing yourself of your own mythology. But ultimately, it is an ideology, and I think this is a term that. Uh, if Westerners hear that about themselves, that the West is stuck in their own ideology, I think that's a very nice observation from from the outside, um, the fact that it's an ideology. And maybe we should use it more often, Dario, thinking about it, the fact that we, I don't really know why we shy away from it that much, but it is, I mean, the problem is that it's an ideology that is difficult to define, right? Because it is more subconscious very often. It is not, it's not that... Westerners are proudly proclaiming their bubble. It is a, it's an underlying uh, factor that influences their worldview. Um, Osama, I mean, because what, what is very interesting is that you were born after 9-11. So you never knew the world before, right? Um, and one of the, uh, so, so I think the first time we met, I asked you, why do you spell your name with a U at the beginning? That's, that's such a particular way that I've never encountered before, because usually it's an OU. Uh, would, you, would you like to share kind of why that is the reason? Yeah, yeah, very much. Uh, so uh, upon the first few times for me traveling outside of the Middle East, um, I've, I've very much been surprised that I have a lot of random security checks, uh, which begin to feel not very much random. And uh, slightly after it, uh, I noticed that uh, any people whose name is Osama spell it with an O, O-S-A-M-A. And that's uh, how Osama bin Laden spelled his name. Uh, so, and that was very troubling for me in every airport. Uh, and it's very much catching, like the algorithm is catching that my name starts with an O. So it's very much, not very much random, but uh, you go to security truck uh, like straight on. Uh, and, I, and I find a very 
sort of effective loop against that was uh, weirdly and awkwardly enough spelling it with a U. So at least like um, I go off the algorithm and I'm subject to the officer's judgment, which is very much uh, to get me to the security check anyways. But it, it, it was sort of helping. So yeah, th- that's why I spell my name with a U. Um, so moving on from okay, like where you grew up uh, and and how you how you grew up in that sense, um, let's focus a bit on your university years, uh, because I think that uh, I mean I, I hear this a lot from friends and peers that moving into the West for a university career, especially in international relations, that it is eye opening how Western focused that is and how Westernized international relations are. Uh, how did that feel for you, kind of stepping into an international relations classroom? Um, within the West, so naturally there's a bit more Western focus, but how did that feel for you? Yeah, um, so also I think what may very much help me answer this is the fact that I very much grew in the heart of the Arab Spring and the Egyptian Revolution. Uh, so um, I've had sort of a, a brief introduction to international relations before I got into university just by how busy our political life in Egypt was uh, from 2011 to 2021, which is when I when I went to university. So there was like 10 years of uh, sort of political dilemmas happening, which is very, like briefly introduced me to international relations. But what was very surprising to me was how the, the perceptions and the look um, of this international relations class in Europe and Spain was very drastically different from what was mentioned and discussed from what we know about the West in Egypt and what we know about the West in Saudi Arabia. Um, so, for example, uh, you, you hear that the, the, the very much, not I wouldn't say stereotypes, but as, as we've said, the ideologies that uh, in the Middle East we associate the West with is very different when engaging with the uh, uh, international relations class. For example, uh, I, I remember one of the, um, the most uh, associated uh, ideologies that we have of the West is sulfurism, uh, which was very different experiencing it in real life and de-associating uh, very much religion from any study of politics or so from what we hear about it in the Middle East. Uh, and and it's, it's, to be fairly honest, it, it was a very different one because uh, very much religion was a lot of time associated, but more in a negative way than it's in, a, in a positive way. So and, and, and that was very surprising for me uh, because I also was associating uh, uh, the political aspect out of it in a very different way. I was, I was trying to eliminate it when what's happening was very much sort of negatively associating it rather than uh, eliminating it at all. So to, to, to what extent um, was your image then of the West as a 15-year-old altered when you got here? So what... How, how did that actually inform your perspective on what the reality of the West was like? I, I would say it drastically changed because, uh, you know, when you when you very much study some, some ideologies and, and you study some sort of stereotypes about how the West thinks about certain topics, it's very much different than experiencing how they deal and they think about those topics in person. Um, so, for example, uh, I remember that uh, in the first uh, year uh, for me in university, it was very different, uh, and, and and we talked about this before, how different the Western approach is to 
sort of freedom of expression and, and, and free speech inside universities. Uh, that's something, for example, I, I, I had a very big idea in that in most of Western universities, you can just speak your mind and, and be very, like, uh, I wouldn't say free, but be very open about it. And that, of course, have been mostly intensified in the UK. But in Spain also, I've noticed that there is some red lines. A lot of a lot of it, uh, actually, there is sort of topics that you you may mention it, but it's not going to be uh, interesting for anyone or it's not going to be valuable for anyone to discuss it. Although I think it's a very important question. It's very important topics. Um, so Such I think it, well, uh, I would kind of topics. Yeah, I, I would say firstly uh, the 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 previous uh, Western acts in the last twenty years. For example, mentioning the war in Iraq and and mentioning uh, what different perspective you might have on it, mentioning different perspective uh, that people might not hear a lot of on the Palestinian Israeli conflict, for example. A lot of those topics very much. Uh, I wouldn't say troubling, but I would say a topics that is not uh, warmly welcomed inside uh, uh, a lot of uh, spaces, which very much changed a lot of uh, ideas that I had on studying political science and specifically, uh, but studying in general in the West. Is, is that something that um, you feel is uh, underlying is a subconscious cultural dynamic, or do you feel that it's actually systemic, that there are actually barriers in place um, to, to actually analyze this in depth? So I, I, I would say, uh, and that's mostly, of course, in the UK, it's more systematic that some extreme views, I wouldn't say, like, the, the, the official use for the words of it is extreme views. Uh, but the, the very unfamiliar views from the West, uh, uh, from the West views, is not very much welcomed. I, I think, uh, Bolder, we've talked about this before. Uh, in the first year for me in the UK, I uh, was surprised by uh, a law called uh, Prevent Duty Law. Uh, in which sort of requires professors to report any student that displays a uh, uh, extremist views. And it's, of course, part of the war on terror uh, and sort of uh, makes professors obliged to report any student who expresses different opinions or unfamiliar opinions, which, of course, can be uh, viewed and can be labeled as extreme views. You know what I mean? And it, it was when you mentioned that to me previously. It was I looked it actually I looked it up because in Spain I'm not familiar with it. And in Spain we don't have such a law, as far as I'm aware, at least. Um, otherwise, I would be in trouble probably. Uh, but uh, I actually looked it up, and what is fascinating about this to me is that it it goes against the very image that the West has of itself. Right. So if you were to ask any student in China or professor in China. Are there any limits? Well, of course, they kind of know that there are limits. They might not be comfortable talking about it, but it's not a surprise. But Westerners walk around believing that there are no limits to free speech. And now you have a very clear barrier, an institutional barrier that exists of all places at university. That is, of course, fascinating to observe. And and that's a very interesting point, because one of the most fascinating things about the West, uh, which is very much that... Uh, the West upon the last 200 years have made universities as the sort of, if, if I would say, the castles of thought 
for the West. It's the places where thoughts and political thoughts and, and every sort of thought is being experimented. It's being uh, f- uh, freely uh, said out loud. And I think that was one of the most powerful things that the West had, uh, that they're able to discuss their important topics, research about it, and analyze it in a very safe environment before going out to the world and say, you know what, this is our opinions, this is what we think is right, let's do it. And and that's something that a lot of other regions in the world have missed upon it, and that's why why a lot of nations around the world is not as influential as they were. But what was very surprising to me, that this very good, very amazing, very cool uh, uh, advantage is being subtracted out of the formula, is being taken out out of this uh, uh, great system. Being able to freely say your mind in European universities and in maybe American universities is being deducted day by day, year by year. And especially studying, and, and I said this to a few of my professors who were very much telling me about this, like, you know, take care, there is a law called this, and we don't want you to be in, in any of those areas. And I was telling them, if if a politics student is not able to speak their mind freely inside a university in the West, where should they? And where is the claim that there is a very huge, big space of freedom of speech about anything that you can talk about is there. Of course, that's maybe associated more now in social media with the whole cancel culture thing that's being very much on the rise and which is more pushing to the polarization that Europe is having and that the West is having, which is, to be honest, when when I've noticed that was one of the first red flags, big alarms of that. Firstly, that's very different on the West picture in the Middle East and in the uh, the global South, if you may, if you may say. But also, this is very dangering to the West. This is very, uh, this is a, lit, or a red alarm, a red flag to the intellectual, firstly, and most importantly, intellectual progress uh, and evolution of the West that has been very much the biggest and the most important characterization in the West civilization in the last 300 years. This is, this is such an important observation because very often when we talk about international relations, certainly something like the Iraq war or Israel or Anything like that, there is a moral component to it. And the West very much likes to um, also take things into a moral direction. But what you're pointing out is almost a very practical uh, weakness that we are creating. So one of our strong points, technically, in a society where you have free speech is that it allows you to develop effectively and efficiently in ways that maybe in a more authoritarian regime or system isn't possible. And now we're actually shooting ourselves in the foot. This, it, it is a practical problem beyond any conversation about morality, right? Exactly. And, and most importantly, what I feel that I've also very witnessed it in, in real world is that this is very much more pushing to the polarizations that's happening in the West. And this is, in my opinion, one of the most dangerous elements and and social components that's happening right now in Western societies, that the polarization between different opinions is very much on the rise. And also, if we, we, like in the, in the Western Bubble episode, you've kind of mentioned that with Jordan Peterson and, and other people who are very much uh, personalities who are sort of a result of this polarization that's been increasing between different opinions in the West that is very much can be uh, 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 related and it can be contributed to the fact that freedom of speech 
in the Western societies is not as it was. And that's very much pushing everyone to have the opinion of that. You know what? I think my opinion is true. I think my view in the world and my facts in the world is true. And I don't care what you have to say about this. I'm going to try to uh, uh, go in my way as as fast and as and as 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 good as possible to make sure you don't have a say in what I in what I believe is true. And that's very much dangering to 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 what's happening in Western societies. That very much can be contributing to what happened in the 6th of January uh, 2021 and how very much everyone was like a lot of people right now in the Western societies are very into the idea that since there isn't a lot of spaces to uh, say my opinion out loud, okay, I'm I'm just gonna take the way to make my opinion the reality. And if necessary, I will cancel you for whatever it is that you say, which, which, as you pointed out, is particularly painful when you talk about universities. It's one thing that in certain sensitive positions in society, you have to be a little bit careful with what you say. But if that happens at universities, boy, we've lost it then, right? Then, then that's the end of it. Well, let's, let's talk about certain positions within society where we might want to be a bit more careful with what you say because of the influence that you have. Uh, let's talk about the media. Um, because I assume growing up in the Middle East, uh, you were also exposed to kind of Western media. I mean, maybe as a child, uh, like most of us, a bit more to, to Disney or something along these lines. Um, and then later on also to like journal, like Western journalism uh, and all the type of stuff. So here kind of like a twofold question or two-part question. First, Growing up outside the West, how did you kind of view the West with, you know, all of that media influence it had? And then the second part being, um, how do you view it now as an international relations student reading a lot of the, like reading Western media when it comes to, you, I assume, your assignments or just uh, to, to be informed generally? How do you view that from, from your perspective? Does it, make, does it make sense? Do you oftentimes have to slap your hand against your forehead and think, oh, what, is there, what are they writing? Or... They're usually spot on. Westerners aren't that bad, the, the journalists. Yeah. Uh, so firstly, um, growing up, uh, to be honest, I had a very positive uh, opinion about the Western media because I, I, as I've I mentioned, I've grown up to, uh, in the Egyptian revolution. And I very much remember that whenever you would hear, you would see a headline from an Egyptian newspaper about what's happening in Egypt in this time, you say, of course, you don't waste your time looking at it. But if you looked at it, you would say, is there living in a different world? Are they seeing things that we like, like we don't see or something? But in, in Western media, uh, it used to be very much aligned with what's happening in the real world. And that's, of course, very much contributed to the fact that Western media in general have a lot less censorship than what Egyptian media had in this time. So growing up, I had a very positive image of most Western medias and their contribution into uh, opinions in the Middle East. But of course... Uh, uh, growing up a bit and uh, witnessing uh, the very dramatic shift in democracy in Egypt, a, a lot of my opinions towards that change because I begin to sense what sort of uh, different political views and different sort of lobbying mechanism, mechanisms can make Western media firstly very biased and very similar to Egyptian media, where you see the headlines and you go, wait a minute, where does that come from? Are you living in a different world that we're living from? Uh, I remember in 2013, uh, in which uh, a military intervention or a military coup had happened in Egypt. And we remember seeing 
a lot of Western media saying very similar things to what the Egyptian media was saying. And no matter what opinion would you have on the previous administration that were, were in Egypt, uh, which of course I think most people have a lot of question marks on, but seeing how Western media were immediately in favor of a military coup that's happening was fascinating. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. It's I I, I remember this as well, um, and and I think this is this is now interesting uh, from from our from the podcast perspective right now because obviously the two of us are age wise closer to each other than than Balder uh, is. Because I remember uh, 2013, I was I think I think I was a teenager or something. Um, also thinking from you know from a non IR student perspective at the time. Thinking, yeah, but one second, didn't we two years ago celebrate the fact that now after 40 years of a dictatorship, Egypt has elections, then the Egyptians elected and now and we weren't happy with the result because the, the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, you know, uh, basically came in charge, which the West really doesn't like because of what you mentioned earlier, right? Secularism, oh, we don't like religion too much in politics. And then suddenly the, the West was celebrating the fact that the, the evil Muslim brothers, uh, that, that they are out of government now and that, you know, it might be better that the military takes over because at least they are not religious. Uh, I remember that from, from a, again, from a naive perspective of being very young, uh, I, I have very similar like feelings about this. Uh, Balder, how was that for you? Because you at that time already worked in international relations. Um, how was that for you? Uh, thank you for making me feel like an octogenarian, uh, Dario. That's <laughs> uh, no, I, I I was actually even working well in by 2011-12. I just made the switch, but until that moment, I was actually working on the Mediterranean region, and so the Arab Spring was something very much on my radar screen. And and it's interesting what you're saying because from what it felt very much, um, some clients were related to the European Union and, and, and other organizations, and it felt very much like the West was almost gloatingly jumping on the opportunity of the Arab Spring to westernize or to trying to westernize. I mean, now, 10 years, 12 years later, it's, you know, it's, it's a failed, Europe, the European approach has failed, clearly, from a European perspective. But um, uh, the Europeans were very happy that they saw an opportunity to gloriously bring the Western approach to the Arab world, right? And, and then there was almost a certain triumphant attitude in that sense. Like, finally, we can show uh, the poor Arab world how to live their lives and they're going to copy our model and everyone is going to hold hands and sing Kumbaya. And, and, and that, that was very palpable, even at the time. Um, and it, it, it shows sort of the, 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 the delusion that these moments create and that you see it in smaller instances over and over again. But the Arab Spring was a major, major example for me of European policy delusion about how they can shape the world in their own image, right? But is that how it felt to you as well, Sama, as an Egyptian? Very much. And, and I would like to mention a very interesting thing that happened here is that even before the Arab Spring, I think uh, one of the most memorable speeches that has ever been given by the West in the Middle East was Barack Obama's speech in Cairo University in 2008 or nine, something like this. And I remember everyone being very much, uh, ha for the first time in a very long time, a lot of people in the mainstream media saying a very positive uh, uh, opinions about what change does the West want to do in the Middle East? 
and a lot of people was uh, sort of, I wouldn't say happy, but enthusiastic about it. And when the Arab Spring happened, I remember uh, everyone from European, uh, uh, from European Commission and, and from European countries and from the USA, of course, being very uh, celebrative of, of this. But seeing the shift happens, I think this was one of the first times people in also mainstream uh, Middle East recognize the hypocrisy, the very obvious and underlying hypocrisy in the Western narrative. And to be honest, before that, a lot of people have the opinion of that, you know, the West is 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 serving their best interest, even if that is against our own interest. But um, they are not hypocritical all the way. They may do it in some instances, but they're not all the way. After the Arab Spring, everyone was convinced, you know what, they do it all the way. We just have to cope with it. And also about a very interesting point that Darius said, and, and, and I think also that's a very important part in the Western bubble as a, as a whole perspective is that, for example, when the West wanted to contribute to democracy in the Middle East, it imagined its own perception of democracy that it 100% should happen in the Middle East. So it should be secular. Uh, it should have free media in a certain way. It should be, it should be, it should be. And at the same time, a lot of this, of, of, of this uh, ideas weren't very much aligned with a lot of Middle Eastern countries, especially Egypt. Uh, for example, I, I remember how different ideologies we have from the West, uh, as if uh, one time I was, I think five or six years old, and I was watching Tom and Jerry, one of the most uh, uh, famous cartoons in the West. And we liked uh, Jerry being the, like the, the, the funny mouse and the, the, the smart mouse, and we hated the cat for being stupid. Um, and one of the biggest problem I had uh, with this uh, sort of look is that it misses a lot of the good and evil part. It misses about what's good and what's bad. It's, it's very much a, a very uh, uh, secular opinion of what should be good and what should be bad is the smart person is good and the stupid person is bad. And that's how it is. Uh, but I, I remember that it was very different from my perspective. My perspective is that if someone is unfortunate or is not very smart, no worries. We'll take by his hand and we'll help him as we can. Like as, as a small kid, this was my perception of how should the world work. If there is uh, unfortunate people in the world, we should be helping to those people. And if there's smart people in the world, we should be clapping for them, but we shouldn't love them for it. But with how different this example was in the West was... Fascinating for me. And when this very small example of, of a very uh, childish cartoon has been amplified to a very big political event like the Arab Spring, we notice the same, that the West is liking who they like, who are more who are smarter, who are uh, more aligned with their interests and don't like what who they don't like because maybe they're a bit more stupid or something. And, and by the way, I agree. Tom, Tom and Jerry is... Tom and Jerry as a microcosm of the Western bubble is 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 incredible because you're absolutely right. There there's a lot to do with this with when it comes to the West just liking winners, right? Liking the, because they see themselves as winners. They see themselves as uh, you know winners of global society, and therefore appreciate. Hey, as long as you're successful, then you're the good guy. As long as you're uh, that 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 is something that I so I have to admit with an ashamed face that uh, as a child, I was on team Jerry 
And at some point, my father pointed this out, that he was on Team Tom, that he felt that Tom was actually a poor cat who was being abused by an overly aggressive and clever mouse. And But I needed time because I, I grew up in the Western bubble, unlike you. And so it took a while for me to see this. That's, that's a fascinating example, Sama. I think it's, it's very interesting you said about... Uh how the West always view themselves as winners. And I think also that that's a very big component uh, of what the Western bubble is. And one of the, one of the things that I, I, I maybe had a hard time communicating it to a lot of people from the West um, is how different uh, not only people from maybe, if you can say, Global South or the Middle East see the West as winners or losers, but what they see as the successful version of a civilization. Uh, maybe, of course, it's maybe it's a bit factual that in a lot of in, in, in a lot of the last two hundred years, the West was factually winning, winning a lot of wars, winning a lot of economic uh, 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 benefits or so. But it's very interesting that when I when I grow up, I I have never been encountered with a lot of people who's saying that wow, the Western civilization in its core, in its main values that it exports, in its main uh, uh, reality, is a very fascinating, successful uh, uh, civilization. For example, we view the Greek civilization as a very successful civilization. Uh, for, for, the, for the huge amount of intellectual advancement that they had, of course, coming from Egypt, we view the, Egyptian, the ancient Egyptian civilization from a lot of that. Uh, so it's, it, it wasn't, for us, limited to... Arab countries or Middle Eastern countries, but a lot of things that we didn't view as successfulness in the in the Western bubble, and it's and it's very much highlighting, is this sort of the materialistic view out of it, uh, the the very big notion of that. What, for example, what means to be successful, and this is very much amplified right now in the in the in a lot of Western media. What means it to be successful is to be a rich man with a Lamborghini and a cigar and a and and having this notion of. What, what means to be successful, what means to have, to be a good representation of a successful individual human being in a civilization is to be rich, which is a very materialistic uh, uh, way to look at it. Instead, for example, a lot of people who see the Greek civilization as, as successful wasn't because they had good-looking cars or good-looking horses in that time, but rather the, the huge intellectual uh, uh, legacy that he has left to the world, the, the huge philosophical legacy that they left to the world, and all the world respect them and will continue to respect them for it. Uh, the, 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 the reason why, for example, uh, a lot of people in the Arab world respect the, the, the legacy that, that uh, the Muslim caliphate has left because there was a lot of intellectual advancement and intellectual progress happening, and that's why what they left to the world. Uh, and on the other hand, of course, we have to recognize that there is a lot of, of intellectual uh, uh, progress is happening in the West. But what means to be successful right now in the West is being a good materialistic person. Rather, what has been successful in Greek uh, civilization, for example, is to be a good thinker. Uh, and, and for example, as I remember in the, in the Islamic Caliphate, very much to be successful is to be a good learner and a, and a, and a, and a person who knows about a, lo a lot about main areas like chemistry and physics and so on and so forth. So the metric for how to be a successful civilization has very much been different upon a lot of different civilizations. I think this is a very big part of the Western bubble. So this would actually blow most Westerners' minds, right? Because they actually 
live in a world where at the very minimum they feel that they're the envy of the world. They feel that the world looks at them as peak achievements. And that is probably a result of the, we used the word ideology before, the capitalist neoliberal ideology that has been infiltrating our psyche for a very long time now, right? And as a result, we've lost we lost, we've lost sight of exactly what you're pointing out, that it depends on what the metric is. Uh, you mentioned um, scientific achievement or philosophical achievement, intellectual achievement, but also just, for example, being a good person. Being a good person is almost something irrelevant nowadays in Western society, right? We, we worship the billionaires. We don't worship a person who just lives a good, modest life. Uh, this, what you're saying, I think that most Westerners hearing that would be absolutely blown away that they are not the envy of the world. And can you explain to our listeners what is the problem? Well, based on based on the conversation we just had at the end of analyzing the bubble, um, I think that can already be summarized as the first part of the damage, right? Uh, having this different outlook of, on the world and this different uh, metric on success. However, um, Usama, I just want to ask you, like, maybe on a list on a little bit less of a theoretical and philosophical level, um, do you perceive damage that the Western bubble uh, is doing to, I don't know, to you, to maybe where you're from, or is there no damage at all? Um, I think there is a huge damage. And uh, I think uh, it would be wise to, to maybe divide it into two parts of the damage. Firstly, the damage of the West uh, sort of intellectually and socially to the rest of the world. And the actual political uh, damage that the like sort of even physically responsible uh, of to 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 the world. So, firstly, I would say that one of the most uh, important events of my life was highlighted by the damages of the Western bubble into the Middle East. Uh, like my personal life has been utterly changed. Uh, after the 2013 uh, political uh, landscape that happened in Egypt and that uh, we weren't very much uh, welcomed or even happy to continue living there. Uh, and that's a very rooted damage from the Western bubble of that, what we discussed before, of when having a very different notion of what a democracy is and not liking what a different kind of democracy even if it's a rigged one, uh, has been doing. And then interventing to say, you know what? We don't like this. We're not going to accept this happening. Uh, whatever, this, the, 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 whatever the aftermath of this might be. And in the way, ruining the lives of millions of people. I remember uh, I, I've seen a lot of, for example, Libyans last year in Istanbul. And it's been very damaging seeing, seeing how much of, of a damage they have of the of the Western bubble. How are they very much divided between sort of wanting to comply with the Western example that has been set of being a materialistic good person uh, and, a, and a good capitalist in that sense and have ton of money and so. And at the same time, sort of holding up to the few things that they that they have a relation with from their culture from their country and having a strong relationship to wanting to go back to their country and fix what what can be fixed of it uh, sort of wanting to have a, a sort of a, a, of a family as they wish for it of, of wanting to have certain 
core beliefs that they want to experience. But of course, it goes hardly against what a materialistic capitalist Western person should be. And them feeling tortured by this. So I think one of the of the biggest uh, uh, aftermaths and, and the damages of the Western bubble is the physical political damages that has been done across not only the Middle East, but the many, 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 many coups that happened in Latin America, the many, many coups that happened in, 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 in Asia and so. So that's the first thing. And the second thing, uh, which is more relating to the social aspect out of, of, of the Western bubble and the Western bubble seeing uh, a level of superiorness out of anybody who's not Western, out of anybody who is not uh, a, a great holder of the set of values that, of course, is being debated, but of the certain values that the West has and that everyone outside of it must have a problem. Uh, and I, I remember having this in in uh, in a lot of debates in university. For example, last year I had a debate about, uh, in the UK, uh, I had a debate about monarchy and should monarchies be in the UK or not. And it was sort of a very big debate between my university and Queen Man University. And there's a lot of people that were there. And uh, I think in the middle of the debate, someone stood up and said, um, and, and I was very much criticizing that monarchies are bad for democracy, obviously. Uh, and someone stood and say, well, what do you know about democracy to say this? What qualifications do you have in Egypt or the Middle East to make you say here that, oh, uh, monarchies are bad for democracy. Uh, and this level of superiorness that is very much surrounded by the Western bubble and created by the Western bubble is very damaging, uh, not to mention to the, to the people who is not Western, but this is, this is not the core thing here, but it's very damaging to the Western, uh, civilization itself. It is, I, 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 and I think I've talked with you, Boulder, specifically about this before, that I think, uh, for example, Egyptian civilization has backed out because of this, because they didn't realize how much of a, of a, of a superiority they had upon another nation. And that was, and, and the same thing happened for most of the Islamic caliphates. They realized that they're, and for example, Muslim Spain, and I, I remember this one of the lessons that I, I took from Muslim Spain as a country and as a civilization, that when they realized that they're too far ahead, when they realized that they're too good of an example, this is where everything went bad. This is where everything went wrong. And this level of superiority is mostly damaging, not to the people that the superiority has been laid upon because life goes on, but is very damaging to the Western progress and civilization itself. This, this, this duality, those, those two points that you make, could it be argued that that second point, sort of the cultural inherent belief system within the West, which by the way, all horrible that 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 a person in 2023 can stand up and say to you what do you know about democracy but uh, that by the on the side um th that that actually informs the first problem right because that kind of bubble leads then to behavior such as in libya and in iraq and and maybe israel and the things that you've mentioned uh uh previously so so sort of the foundation is that inherent psychological cultural dynamic which then opens the door to destructive action in your case in the arab world exactly and and also it's 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 very important that one of the main foundation that everyone recognizes about the western civilization is that one of the biggest foundations of it 
is that the diversity of opinions have been very much laid in its foundation and has been very much the fuel of the success that the Western civilization has done. Uh, but the dangerous thing, which to be honest, you, you've also helped me by pointing it out at almost every episode of, of the Western bubble before, is that taking this out of the formula of the, the, the Western civilization is only going to drive it backwards, is only going to affect it. And people not realizing it is one of the most dangerous uh, uh, aftermaths, maybe even more of the problem itself being that not people, not enough people are able to diversify their opinions. People not realizing this is a problem in its own. Uh, the unfortunate fact is that, that most Europeans right now, well, if they ever really knew anything about Libya, they will have forgotten it now about what the European and Western role in Libya was. But even Iraq is being forgotten increasingly, as in it's something that we really don't like talking about because we know that there's something a bit uncomfortable about half a million Iraqis dying and, and all that. Uh, how did did you at the time observe this? I mean, in 2003, of course, you, you didn't observe it because you were too young, but later on, Iraq and Libya, did you understand what the West was doing? Or was it more like, here's a foreign invader creating havoc and destruction on neighboring societies? It, it, it was very much, uh, there was a, a double factor that's understood uh, for us. Firstly, um, that the Western intervention is just, uh, you know, the, the big man with so much power that can do whatever they want, whatever that's right or wrong, there's like lawful or not lawful. It's not an important question to be asked. They just do whatever they want. And that was very much recognized. But I'm only saying this to say the fact that it was very much known and understood in most of the Arab world that the, the leadership in Iraq uh, of course, under Saddam Hussein, was very much a a a, a harming leadership to its people. Uh, for example, we remember a lot of uh, instances where a lot of Arab and, and Muslim people have been killed by the thousands in Iraq for different reasons. Uh, like a very small instance of that here is that uh, after the war between Iraq and Iran uh, ended, um, a lot of people who got out of the Iraqi army wanted to join back their 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 jobs, and being a lot of Egyptians war in those jobs because of this war, uh, there has been a problem because a lot of Iraqis want to get back their jobs and their jobs are occupied by Egyptians. So 8,000 Egyptian persons were killed and were shipped back in planes uh, to Egypt. Just this simple. So a lot of people were, were extremely unhappy about what's happening in, under the leadership of Iraq. Everyone was recognizing that there's a lot of, of blood that's being spilled there and and it's and it's very concerning. Uh, even the heroic actions that have been happening from this leadership, yes, it was taken into consideration. I have to say that. But at the same at, at the same point, everybody was recognizing that this is like Gaddafi, was just a big mouth, if, if that's the right word, and person recognizing this. But it was very much sort of and I, and and I and I mean this word very carefully. It was very much insulting to the people the fact that this intervention is happening. We, for example, Iraq as a civilization, as a country, we hold it to a very sort of dear, dear place as a very old and, and great country. It was very insulting that this is happening in a very big country in the Middle East. And it was very amplified and very loud. The sound of the unlawful actions by the West. And that is the main 
uh, uh, reason for doing it is I do it because I can. And, and, and this message was one of the loudest political messages I've heard from mainstream people since I was young. In almost every space, in every discussion, you would hear something mentioned about Iraq and how the USA is doing this just because they have the power and they know nobody can stop them. And this was very, I wouldn't say, I would say insulting and, and, and very painful uh, to, uh, to a, a lot of countries there. And, and, and of course, um, the, the amount of people that were killed. And, and I remember there's an American movie that I don't remember the name of it, but uh, w- which was sort of portraying the American snipers and how uh, lovely they were and how very considerate they were. And I, and I remember such of those instances were very provocative and, and were very painful to, 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 the, to the Arab world. And, and also, I would lastly mention this. Uh, for the last few months, uh, having a lot of Libyan friends, I've been sort of like, you know, monitoring what's happening. And if, and if, and if a lot of Western people would know this, the, the huge aftermath that this intervention in Libya has caused, that every few weeks, I would hear one of my friend's relatives simply dying in a, in a riot that's happening in Tripoli or in a, in a, in a, in some armored people who just treated each other in the, in the way. It's, it's, it's very t- sort of troubling and paling. And, and and painful, sorry, the the aftermath that this intervention has has left in the minds of 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 the of the global south, and most importantly, in the lives of them. And at the same time, you then have that Western population that's completely ignorant, even at the time when it happens. But certainly, ten years later, they completely forget about that sense of that responsibility. The and the, the list. I could even add South Sudan to the list, for example. But there's a very long uh, list of these instances of the West basically taking a specific type of action and then forgetting about it because it becomes too complicated and too too destructive and too, and not taking any responsibility for this. Usually in, in the West, the story is a simplified version of there's an evil dictator or there's something evil going on in a country that you don't know much about. We're going to get rid of the dictator because we're the good guys. Um, and um, just feel comfortable that your society is doing the right thing. But then from listening to you, I assume that there's absolutely no credit given to any humanitarian um, excuse to do what they did in Libya or Iraq, right? And and just to add a very small point in that, uh, for example, I, I remember a, a clip that went viral, viral in the Middle East in that period was Hillary Clinton uh, explaining uh, that uh, she was saying... Um, like the the things that we're enduring right now, the things that we're suffering from right now in Iraq and Afghanistan, we helped create it a few years ago when we were tripped with the Soviet Union in Afghanistan. And we say, you know, let's bring up those Mujahideen and let's go those jihadists and, and, and create a power struggle and let them fight it. And the, the, the point here was, for example, uh, I remember, and this was a lot of, of discussion about that, that in the Obama administration, when Hillary Clinton was associated with the, with the Obama administration, a lot of people had a problem with that. This is the person that literally said that they created a power struggle to murder one million people of Iraqis and, and, and other millions from Afghanistan. And, and this person is right now coming to our countries and uh, uh, playing the role of being the good guys, of helping us to secure our democracy. And all of that was just outrageous in the eyes of, 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 I would say, the global south again. And all of this is very much amplified more to me personally, personally, 
for example, when I go to, to, to one of my classes and I hear, so for example, some people arguing, you know what, getting in Iraq maybe wasn't a bad, it wasn't a very bad decision. You know what, the intervention that happened in Afghanistan, it wasn't very bad, you know, we, we, we've ended the Soviet Union, you know, it wasn't a bad idea. It's very much amplified that there's sort of a continuous, I wouldn't, I, I would say, uh, ignorance and a, and a continuous, um, not caring behavior towards the huge aftermath is, that it has left. And that also this is being continued in, in the Yemen war uh, and it's being continued in a lot of places without even realizing how much an aftermath the actions that was made before has made and how the aftermath of this country will make, of this intervention. And what now? And now that we are talking about the future, um... I mean, usually, you know, in these episodes, whenever I ask Balder, so what do we do? Um, he's like, well, I don't really know. We would need to be a bit more specific. Um, but based on the conversation that like we've just had, how do you simply see the future? Not necessarily what does the West have to do, but like, how do you see the future? Do you feel like the rest of the world at some point is going to stand up and tell the West, you know what, it's been 400 years, it's <laughs> enough, okay? Or, I mean, again, in, in, a, more, in a more serious way, what, what do you feel like the future is going to look like here? Yeah, uh, so as, as you said, I, I, I would very much want to get it back to the West here. Uh, for saying One of the first things that's very obvious to me that has to be done in the West, especially practically, is to very much uh, intervene to help uh, decreasing the ridiculous amount of polarization that's happening inside the West. The ridiculous amount of uh, uh, censoring that's happening in people's opinion. Uh, I, I think that's one of the fundamental steps if the West, if the West wants to get back into being influential. That's, that's the first thing. And the second thing is that if, if there is some opinions that the, and, and some values in the, that the West holds dear, uh, which is uh, in, a, in, more, in most instances a very valuable thing, it, it's for the West to be consistent with it. So for example, uh, w- one of the things that I, that I noticed a few days ago that uh, one of the, of the very big issues and the hurting issues that the West had in the last year was the death of, of, of Mahsa Amini, uh, the Iranian women that uh, has been abused and shot uh, because of, 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 of the whole hijab and, and her taking off hijab and all of that, uh, which is, by the way, a, a very pressing issue. And one of the things that I, I found very relatable that this was terrible. This was obviously something that cannot be tolerated. But at the same time, it's terrible and cannot be tolerated. The fact that France, for example, just banned uh, abayas and just banned hijab a few days ago. It's just to be consistent on the moral values that the West holds dear and uh, trying to not force it upon people, but simply communicating it towards people and saying, yeah, this is the, 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 the values that we care about and we think this and this problems are here, but being consistent about it, not letting the big guys uh, go because they are the big guys and, and focusing on the people we hate j- simply as the Tom and Jerry example, just because we hate, just because they're the losers. Uh, even though, in a lot of these instances, it's sort of 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 of, uh, of justified to reject the death of Mahsa, for example, and 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 the terrible things that happened to her. Um, so I think being consistent on the moral values that the West holds dear, with preventing any sort of of polarization that is increasing, I think this is one of the if the if the 
if the two very uh, main things that comes into mind. And Boulder, this reminds me of, of a quote he said at the at the end of one of your episodes, and it was by John Adams, I think. And he said that um, the founding father of the U.S. He said that most, yeah, like in in, in most instances, democracy murders and and commits suicide. And I think this is one of the most pressing issues that's on the West right now. That the West as a democracy is suiciding. It's murdering itself by its polarization, by its inconsistency with the with the world and the world recognizing that, you know what, these people are being hugely unjust and unfair. And and that of course, uh, as as will probably be said in the in the BRICS nation as uh, as it will be published, uh, it's making the huge problem of that. You know what? Since they are inconsistent and since they are unfair and unjust, we reject anything to do with them. You know what? Let's not make the the U.S. dollar the currency of the world. You know what? Let's not make the U.S. Uh, the policeman of the world. Let's re- reject any sort of, of of intervention made from these people because they're hugely unjust. So let's take a step back. Let's end the polarization that's happening inside the Western societies on a social level. And that's, if it continued, as Barbara Walters said, for example, it has a very high chance of resulting in another American civil war, for example. And what's happening in in January the 6th is very much being conscious that the polarization is one of the most dangerous aspects of uh, 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 the, the, the Western dangerous things that's happening to it and being consistent in the values that the West holds dear. And communicating that to the world, not forcing it. Isn't isn't the problem that that consistency is impossible in a messy model that the West has? That the democracy, liberalism are very messy models where you have this, even if you don't take polit- uh, polarization as a starting point, at some point it leads to polarization because of the very nature of how the system is set up. And I think that that's what Adams was also referring to, that there's something inherent in this political and cultural system that eventually will lead to its downfall because it's just not sustainable because it doesn't have that consistency by the very nature. I think that makes very much sense. And and that's uh, sort of referring to a lot of the, the discussions that I think also I mentioned to you one time uh, was that, for example, one time, the first time I heard about the prevent duty law was one time... I suggested that whether democracy may work in a lot of instances, there is some instances that democracy might not be the perfect option. And there it has been said, you know what, you may be going against the British values, and this is something you cannot say. And just saying sometimes that the system uh, might be sort of rigged is a little problem. Of course, not saying here that the West uh, should abandon democracy. I think that's a bad idea. But uh, I think troubleshooting the system and problem solving the, the the embedded issues that's inside the system is also a great thing that you have you have lifted my mind up to it yeah well this seems like a great moment to end today's episode with our editor osama osama to you thank you very much for taking the time out of your schedule and for also editing this particular episode um it's been it's been truly great to have you on and i think that we've collected a lot of very valuable insights uh, for us definitely but i'm sure also for the listeners if you the listeners have any questions comments or regards make sure to send us an email to the western bubble at gmail.com and we will try to incorporate them in our following episodes thank you very much to the listeners for joining us today make sure to join us again next week when we burst the western bubble <laughs>